Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a little bit of time and talk to you about my new debut novel, Blind Influence. Um, I've been writing this book for a long time, actually. I started writing it when I was working at Procter & Gamble um, in my off hours, I guess you could say. Um, it started out uh, as a a spy novel. Basically, I, I believe I, I covered this in a blog a while ago. I had been reading the um, Robert Ludlum, Jason Bourne series and was starting to get frustrated a little bit about uh, the fact that Jason Bourne never really catches Carlos Jackal. And um, I kind of challenged myself to write a, a book um, about uh, espionage or spying and uh, from there, I ended up creating uh, a number of wonderful characters. And uh, my book actually kind of started going in a little bit of a different direction. Um, I've been working on it for about 29 years. And um, it's, um, I, I handwritten, I had hand wrote most of the, uh, the scenes, if you want to call them that. And I had probably about seven inches of uh, paper that I had written all these different scenes on. Um, and then doing all of the artist interviews that I did and also talking with a number of artists, I had always talked with folks and, and they they come back and they said, you know, I've been painting since I was a kid or I've been drawing since I was a kid. And, and I really started thinking about what I had done since, you know, when I was a kid besides playing tag football and, and baseball and, and kickball and kick the can and all those great games that we played when we were younger, um, you know, I, I started thinking about all of the things that I had written throughout my life, uh, starting probably about when I was four or five years old um, and making up stories and uh, entertaining our friends. We used to put on plays and different things like that when we were really, really young and, and we would write these plays ourselves and um, I'm not particularly sure that it had very much plot or, or direction in them, but they were fun to write and they were... Uh, fun to play, you know, and act out. And um, from that point on, I, it was really kind of interesting because um, I had continued to do that really all through my life. And in the back of my mind, I would even at, you know, different times of whatever, think of, of different plays or different situations and, and couldn't wait till I got home and to, to write them down. And so the last year, I guess I challenged myself after listening to a number of artists speak about how um, they had done this, done painting all their life. Uh, I decided that I was going to take the book that I had started writing so uh, very long ago and, and organize it and, and publish it. And it is published now. It's, um, it is out and available. Uh, you can buy it over on Amazon. The name is Blind Influence. You can look at it uh, under my name, Linda Riesenberg Sissler, um, which I guess is kind of interesting because in the art world I'm kind of known as Linda Sissler, and in the writing world I'm known as Linda Riesenberg Sissler, and I think that in itself is um, a reflection on the fact that I actually started this before I got married. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I include my maiden name in there, and uh, basically, the, the characters in the book are, are very interesting. Uh, there is a, the main character is a female character. Uh, she is a lawyer. Uh, she lives in Washington, D.C. She's had an interesting background. I did a lot of research on Nicole because uh, the time frame, the, the book is set in 1979, and I'm in the middle of writing a free prequel that will be available on Amazon and a number of other places 
that basically introduced you to all the characters. And, and it was really interesting doing a lot of research on Nicole because Nicole um, was actually in uh, it, this naturally is a fictional character. But I had to go back uh, because I wanted Nicole to go to, to Harvard Law. Um, and I, I, I was just curious one day and I thought, well, you know, it's going to be probably around 1964. There probably weren't a lot of women lawyers uh, at, during that time. They're probably, um, you know, I, I didn't even know if Harvard was accepting women lawyers into that, so into the law school. So, um, you know, were they studying at Radcliffe, for example, or, or did Harvard not allow females? If not, then where would, you know, where, where would Nicole go to school? So you, I started to do this research and I came across um, some very wonderful uh, information that um, was on the web, and, and basically Nicole did go to Harvard Law School in 1964. Was in fact the first year that Harvard Law accepted women into uh, the law school there, um, and these women faced a lot of scrutiny and uh, harassment and uh, abuse. It, it started out with 22 females who were accepted into the law program, and um, only 15 graduated. Uh, there's, there were, um, you know, sexual harassment, like I said, rape. Um, there's, there was one who committed suicide. Uh, it, it was, it's just an incredible, it was an incredible story to read about uh, these, these wonderful women. Pat Schroeder uh, was one of those women, um, and, and as you know, she went, went on to become a, a senator, a very prominent figure. Um, so these were trailblazers. These women were trailblazers, and Nicole ends up her character ends up fitting very, very well into these trailblazers. And um, she's you know a bit on the feminist side. She's uh, definitely you know for women uh, equality. And um, you know at the time Gloria Steinem, all of these folks, um, these women trailblazers were out there. You know, so it's really kind of I really really like this time period that uh, Nicole and the other characters are a part of, and the reason why other reason why I said it in 1979 was um, basically that's when I started writing it. Uh, so I had done a lot of research back then uh, when I did start writing it, and I continued to do research through the whole writing uh, of this book. Uh, the, there are two male characters, uh, supporting characters. Uh, one of them is Sean Atkins, and Sean is a MI6 agent, and he has been on the trail of an assassin. So this is where the Jason Bourne part of it comes in, you can say. But he's been chasing this assassin for for um, 10 years. There's a personal reason why, which I will not give out at this point because it spoils some of the plot. Uh, but there's a reason why that he's, he is chasing this, um, and there's a reason why uh, this assassin has been so... Uh, successful, shall we say, in his kills. So um, there's a lot of mystery and things around Sean that you really don't, um, you get glimpses of in flashbacks throughout the book, um, but you really don't get to see a lot of what happened in Sean's life um, during this this particular book. But there certainly, like I said, there is flashbacks throughout. You learn um some things about you know, how he's tied to the British political system, if you will, um, uh, and a little bit about his family. 
Um, and then there is another character, the, uh, the third character, the main character um, or supporting character uh, is Senator Robert Jenkins, who is um, a senator from North Carolina. He's a Democrat. He's single. He's uh, basically considered the most eligible bachelor on Capitol Hill. Uh, he's very good looking. He's very charming. Um, I have a few readers who told me that he's very shifty. Um, and uh, part of that is, that at least in this book, uh, there's a reason why for that. He um, holds a lot of information. He holds it very close to his chest so that uh, it doesn't get out. And uh, we're left uh, basically you know, wondering just what he's going to do. Uh, is he going to be a bad politician and a greedy politician, or is he going to be you know, somebody that can help turn and pivot um, the way that uh, politics would go in the, ne in the next um, 10, 15, 20, 20 years, which is kind of a dilemma that uh, we get into towards the end of the book. Um, and then uh, there naturally is going to be a, a sequel to this called Love is Blind. Um, and and that will go more into the story about, uh, you know, what, what exactly Jenkins is going to be able to do or what he's, he's going to be choosing to do. And I guess another reason why I chose 1979 was because I look at 1979, 1980, 81, maybe up to about 85 as uh, a real pivotal point in American politics. Um, you know, we, we we were all, before this, it was all Camelot, and, and, and then the Kennedy assassination happened, and, you know, and then in the years following that, all the different investigations and, um, you know, the... Watergate happens, and politics just basically start taking on this very greedy and very um, dirty type of uh, feel to them. Um, and, it, and it's just basically, it has really, really gotten worse. It's, you know, can we trust them? Can we not trust them? Um, it, you know, big, big money, big corporation, all of that is influencing uh, how the senators and and congressmen vote and what they stand for, and the media isn't really helping either. Um, but it, it was one of these things where I just really wanted to um, think that if something happened in this time period, 1979, that really uh, one person could influence, one senator could influence, and, it, and they chose to go a different way, and there was more transparency in the government what would that look like? So it's kind of at a point where we might go off into parallel universes. Um, so that's one, one reason for this big dilemma that um, Robert Jenkins is going to end up um, facing. And uh, we only got a few minutes left. So one of the things that, that I wanted to do um, was to invite everybody over to um, my website. It's uh, HD. It's a, excuse me, www.vindafisler.com backslash blind-series backslash blind-influence-book-summary, and you can read the summary there. Um, this book is getting five-star reviews um, out on Amazon. Um, and then uh, with this, what I'd like to do is, uh, since this is the audio file, I'd like to introduce you to... Um, the, the first two pages of the book. Um, I'm not the best reader in the world. Uh, there is a sneak peek available out at my website, and uh, I do invite you out to look at that, and that is under that blind influence summary. 
if you go to my website, it'll be on the right-hand side. And uh, what you need, need to do is you'll see on the right-hand side up at the top of Blind Series, mouse over that, click on the Order It Today, and there's a sneak peek out there for you to look at. The first paragraph um, opens, or the first chapter on day one opens in Paris, France. The alley was dark and littered with trash from the overflowing waste cans with the drunken, unconscious patrons of the saloon located at its end. The amber light which seeped from the cracks into which seeped from the cracks in the door and boarded up windows of the dilapidated building provided enough light for the passers by to avoid stepping on the any undesirable objects. Noise from the saloon was muffled but still audible as it drifted down the alley to one of the many streets of Paris. A man whose face was still handsome, though hiding the youth that had been beaten from him by the life he had chosen, prepared to tiptoe his way through the maze to the saloon door. His dark hair blended with the misty night. The collar of his raincoat flipped up, its belt tightly securing the taut raincoat around his sinuous body to protect the clothes beneath it. He stood at the corner of the street and alley, surveying them both. Had he been followed? Who was waiting for him in the dark alley or in that raucous saloon? Did he have his gun? Did he have his gun loaded? He withdrew the firearm and a beretta, checking it in his surroundings. It was now ready in case he needed it. He glanced up and down the alley in the main thoroughfare before sliding around the corner into the misty darkness of the alley toward the amber light that betrayed the presence of some of the lowest life of Paris. As he tiptoed to the door, he heard a screech. He didn't bother to look. He had, heard, he had heard those types of screeches before. It was a rat, something he despised intensely and saw far too often. It was beyond this well-educated, well-dressed man why Jacques preferred to squander his life in such vile places. In this man's estimation, Jacques was paid rather handsomely for his information. Another screech caught the man's attention and he pulled and pulled him from his thoughts. He passed as he wait, he paused as he waited to hear additional steps on the wet pavement. There were none, only snort and swat of a man and a swat of a man awakened by the vile, dirty creature trying to steal a breadcrumb from the drunk shirt. The man again started for the door of the saloon. He reached the door and breathed a quick sigh of relief, relief just before placing his hand on the door. He entered the raunchy establishment, and he took a very deep breath. He winched from the stench, which made him wish he had done that. He, op he opened the door slowly, trying not to attract any attention from swift movements. He entered the room cautiously, but calmly. Stood momentarily in the darkened corner at the entry of this room, surveying it and all the chaos. No one was the least bit interested in him. The room was lit with sconches and light lamps, all draped with red and orange chiffon-like material. The man wasn't sure what kind of effect the owner was going for, but he was quite sure he hadn't, had walked into a badly reproduced opera. The amber light danced with the smoke created by just about any type of smoking device he could think of, all being used by various patrons of the bar. In one corner, the room was very badly abused piano, which annoyingly, which was annoyingly out of tune. Most of the patrons were around this piano, 
while a sloppily dressed overweight woman sang as if she were an opera diva, complete with fan and headdress, screeching a very bad rendition of the Costa Diva aria, which sprang from her heavily red but thick-laden mouth. Like fingernails on scratching down a chalkboard, the woman's attempt at singing grated on the man's nerve. As the shrill sound of a high note accosted the man's ears, he turned his head to see a darker area, far from the offending racket of the opera impersonators who, he surmised, were pretending to be performing at Covent Garden. As the man reached the darkened corner, he untied his coat and slid into onto the stained and tattered velvet bench, his back to the wall, facing the door to the saloon. His form seemed to disappear into the darkness, his hands seen only as he called for the bartender over to the booth. He thought of ordering gin when the bartender arrived, but somehow felt whiskey was more appropriate. He found that thought strangely odd, but it didn't matter anyway. He had no intention of drinking it. Shortly after the bartender returned with his shot, a short Frenchman, complete with a, at least a three-day growth on his face and the body odor to match, slid into the bench across from the smartly dressed man. The Frenchman smiled, wrinkled the skin around his eyes and revealed missing teeth. Monsieur Atkins, the Frenchman, greeted the man, eyeing the shot of whiskey. Jacques Atkins adjusted the collar of his raincoat as he watched Jacques begin to salivate. Jacques' eyes never strayed from the whiskey. Consider it in advance, Sean Atkins added in his proper English accent, a stark conflict to Jacques' very common and broken English. So that's the first two pages of the book. And... Um, I'd like to invite you, naturally, there, there's more out on the sneak peek on my page. And um, I believe that's about all that is out on the Kindle version, um, out on Amazon. But um, I do invite you to, to read more. Um, like I said, the book is already receiving some five-star reviews, which I'm very, very, very thankful for. And um, if you have any questions or, or comments, please feel free to drop me a note, and um, I'll be happy to answer them. So... Um, this is basically all that I'm going to say in this episode of uh, Blind Influence. Maybe next time what we'll do is we'll read some tweezers, some teasers and uh, have a little bit more fun. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I, I hope you'll take an opportunity to check out the book. Again, it's Blind Influence, available on my website. If you want an autographed copy, available through Amazon. It's in all of the bookstores, Barnes and Nobles, places like that. It's uh, available out on um, Kindle, and I believe it will be available soon on Nook. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and um, we'll see you next time. Bye.